Welcome to Caregiver Crossing, a podcast to embrace family caregivers of today and tomorrow. And now, here's your host, Tina McIntosh, along with Sarah Shetty. Hello, hello, hello. It is Sarah, and this is Caregiver Crossing, a podcast. Today, we are coming to you, as we always do, from our cozy Joyce house, um, well, library today, sometimes an office, but we are on the south side again at our UND house in our cozy library. And I am joined today with Jenny Muncy Sujan. She's a licensed social worker. Um, she's very, very busy. We were just talking about all of her wonderful uh, jobs and involvement with things um, even farther south of us here um, down in Columbus. And we'll uh, hear more from Ginny in just a moment when I introduce her. Um, I do want to do a slight disclaimer on this episode. I think this episode might be one of the most uh, important and absolutely interesting episodes we do, but we are talking about um, a sensitive topic um, when it comes to uh, dementia. We're going to talk about um, intimacy and sexuality as it relates to dementia. So just keep that in mind if you're listening in your car or maybe with other people around, um, that this is a slightly more sensitive topic than others we have covered on the podcast. Um, But as I mentioned, we have a wonderful guest, Jenny. Hello. Hi. Thanks for joining me today. (laughs) Can you um, just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I have my master's in social work, and I got that for my UPUI. Uh, I have a few jobs around. One of my jobs that I love is um, Just Friends Adult Day Services. I'm their social worker and help to solve problems and especially oversee veteran um, care for the services they get through the VA. And that's how we got connected with you yes. um, was through Just Friends. Um, so I really appreciate you making the trip up here to talk with me. So, um, how did this topic of sexuality and dementia, um, become something you were interested in? Well, I was doing some research on another topic and it kind of popped up at the bottom with a, a related article. So I clicked on it and I saw people saying, Hey, why isn't anyone talking about this? Right. And then connected that with some clients that I'd seen at our space um, where some borderline inappropriate things and had to kind of keep those managed with some clients and then also with uh, spouses of clients that had come in and kind of had a lost look in their eyes and still um, appearing very viable as far as life goes like they still could have the potential of having an active life in many ways connected with a person who is essentially not the person that they married anymore. Right. So that um, observation is what made me interested in the article when I clicked on it to see what are people saying and what are the struggles. And it was exciting to see someone just putting it out there as it is. Right. Um, So I mentioned it to my supervisor and she thought it'd be a good topic for people to listen to privately. Sure, <laughs> sure. And so you just kind of continued your research and delved mm-hmm. more into information that you could find. Is there a yes. lot of information out there? There isn't a lot. I, I wouldn't use the word a lot, but I found enough. And basically what the information is doing is confirming that 
this is a real thing for people. So it's right. not saying right or wrong or this is what you should do. It's basically acknowledging if you feel this way, it's real. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to feel guilty about it. Um, you aren't alone right. in it. And in the decisions you make about it, are up to you Mm -hmm. each person responds differently depending on their value system or their belief system um, their relationship with their spouse or any verbal commitments they may have made early on so we we all have these things that come into our lives in most situations where we make a decision that's difficult and this isn't any different so I know we talked um, before recording just about kind of the goals of talking about this and of just your research and, mm-hmm. and kind of spreading um, the findings of your research and what you have read. And one of them is to normalize sexual frustration or mm-hmm. disruption mm-hmm. Um, and to take kind of that guilt off of maybe the person who's experiencing that mm-hmm. and, and let them know, as you said, that it's normal. Mm-hmm. So re- relieving the caregiver guilt of sexual frustration and also normalizing normalizing the the person with the illness Mm. normalizing the sexual frustration that they may have because that frustration can occur because of the illness or because of medication or because of just different um, medical reasons that that comes into play but obviously I'm not a neurologist but the frontal lobe is is messed up so that is where people navigate their impulses Mm -hmm. and how they make they regulate their decisions about what is right and wrong and that part is um, affected so whereas someone might have a thought they don't always say it now they might now they might say it right (laughs) so it's normalizing for both you might be hurt that your spouse is acting out because they're ill or you might be hurt because your spouse is no longer sexually available to you And you still have those desires for yourself. Right, right. And we also talked about normalizing feelings and the occurrences of those feelings um, as it comes to their feelings about their partner's sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. And we kind of just touched on that. But as it changes, um, you know, relieving the guilt of how they feel, like you said, not sexually Mm -hmm. attracted anymore, Mm -hmm. or if they're acting in a different way when it Mm -hmm. comes to their sexual relationship, just normalizing those Mm -hmm. feelings. Yeah. The big message is you're, you're not alone and it's normal. Right. For you to feel this way. Yeah. And just, you know, being us both being in, um, that adult day setting, you know, one thing we talk about is when somebody is going through that, Diagnosis, it often presents itself um, kind of in one of three or four ways. And one of those ways often is sexual, Mm -hmm. you know, so that person as they're changing and their personality changing, we've talked about they might be more agitated. Sometimes people present more kind of lovey and Mm -hmm. and huggy, which Mm -hmm. sounds good, but Mm -hmm. it can be really um, disruptive for people. Yeah, excessive. (laughs) And that might be Mm -hmm. um, scary for people who knew them their entire life as one way and Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're acting different. But then sexual Mm -hmm. um, is another way that it can present itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And with that comes, you know, a lot of feelings and fears and things like that. So what should somebody keep in mind before being intimate with a partner or spouse who has dementia? I'm going to just try to give you what I've been reading and what I've been watching. Perfect. Um, first of all, is this the normal way that you have um, sexual activity your whole marriage long? 
Mm-hmm. You know, if that's the norm and that's how it's always been, then as long as there's no um, resistance on the part of the spouse who is ill, um, and you want to be aware that that resistance can look a little bit different now if word finding is difficult, you know, mm-hmm. any kind of just withholding or pulling back. Um, if, if that's not occurring, then it's still okay because there is a comfort in that normal sexual activity and having that person that you've spent your life with. Um, and keeping in mind, is your partner able to say yes or no? Can you get that confirmation from them? Mm-hmm. Does this feel okay to you? Are you all right with this? Mm-hmm. Um, and move forward with consent, just like we would with any other relationship. Right. But knowing that consent might be a little bit different than it mm-hmm. had been before. Because in some instances, um, the person who's ill may may accept sexual advances, but may seem withdrawn. So they aren't giving any resistance, but they really aren't participating. So that's when I think a spouse, from what I've been reading, starts to feel like, where's the line for me? Like, at what point is this no longer consensual? And I hate to say this way, some people might disagree, but is this still my spouse? Is this the spouse that I'm, that I marry, that I'm trying to engage with right now? So, um, everybody, like I said at the beginning has to make these decisions on their own, but just pulling together, um, those things that I just said and trying to figure out if this is, is it worth it? You know, is this, right. do I need this so badly that I want to go forward to, with this or is there another way? So that's part of this podcast also. Is there another way that this can be solved without feeling like I'm crossing a line? Right. Right. What if a person is feeling like they have lost their attraction, their sexual attraction to someone that they have been sexually attracted to? Um, for their entire, you know, relationship and now is finding that that, um, has waned. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't change because you no longer love the person. It changes after years of being the caregiver Mm -hmm. and the nurse and the problem solver and the two adults in one body after so many years, just becoming weary. So a weariness is a reason that maybe there's just no longer a sexual drive there for Mm -hmm. a person. But then other people see that actual role change where I don't feel like a spouse anymore. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm an in-home caregiver. And um, for some people, they feel like that is a violation of a vow that they took in marriage if the person is married that they promised, they promised, they promised, I'll, I'll be here until death. And so they, they feel like they would be, um, going back on their word if they admit that I don't feel like that person to, I don't feel like we're a couple anymore. Right. Um, some people aren't necessarily looking for the sexuality, but feel that loneliness is usually when there's a partnership or a marriage or some kind of conversation that happens on a regular basis. And even if you aren't completely sexual all the time, there's a bond there and you chit chat about this and that. But as a disease progresses, there just might be loneliness, almost like you're the one person in the house with a shadow. Right. That's, that's with you. Right. So 
What if it's the flip then? So you're the person who um, maybe still wants that relationship and wants that intimacy, but your partner or spouse is no longer interested in you. So the person with the diagnosis um, could have a withdrawal from sexual um, cravings Mm -hmm. because of their illness. And that is more likely than the aggressive sexual behavior. It's more likely for them to withdraw and just um, become less sexually involved. Right. Um, So another reason that they might withdraw would be because of medications. Oh, right, right, right. So some people are able to manage this because they can just tell themselves, this is my reality and this is why it's happening. And so they think of it like they're their burden to bear and they have strength from that mm-hmm. as they see the value and um, the work that they're doing and the care that they're giving and the love that they're showing. And that also crosses over into extended family, especially if you have children together and those children get a whiff of an idea that you might be um, looking for sexual relationships right. in a different way place right than with mom or dad that's always been and that's scary to family right right but yeah the interest in other people it's come up in some um, conversations before um, but I know one just and she actually recently passed away but B Smith was you know this kind of this famous woman who had um, dementia and it was very famously in the media that you know her husband who was her caregiver and stuck with her also had a girlfriend Mm. throughout you know, the end of their marriage and through, um, when her, her diagnosis really became, it's kind of most progressed. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was controversial. Some people Mm -hmm. could see why, Mm -hmm. and some people, like you said, maybe were, you know, that's against their marriage Mm -hmm. vows. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're not them and not in their family. (laughs) And, uh, you know, when I talk to people about, um, advanced directives in a different setting, I say the most important thing to do is talk with your family or talk with the people that you care about. Make sure they understand your desires. And I was floating this topic to my spouse mm-hmm. <laughs> recently and saying, you know, this is this is what I'm I'm preparing to talk about. And his reaction was to kind of be sad. Like, yeah. oh no, you knew you think if if I have a diagnosis that takes me away mentally that you would look for affection in other places. And I just kind of let it sit there for a minute. And he said, but I wouldn't know. Right. And we didn't come to an agreement about it, but I felt a little bit at peace that we'd even broached the subject about, I love you and I care for you and I'm here for you. I won't ever abandon you. But caregivers need things too. Right. Right. And a a lot of times we know from other research, caregivers are vulnerable to illness because of all of their exertion and all of their output that they give to so many places. So that, that self care is a big piece sacrifice and all of that is glorious and beautiful. But the reality is if you want a long-term caregiver, you have to take care of the the caregiver. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so we talked about, you know, the different ways in which a dementia diagnosis can present itself. And one of those being, um, sexual, 
so there might be behaviors, even if you've had this healthy you know, sex life with your partner, your entire relationship, there might be behaviors that all of a sudden are very shocking or very surprising. Um, they can come out in public spaces mm-hmm. or in front of, you know, family members or friends <laughs> or things like that. At church. At church, <laughs> yes. So talk a little bit about that if somebody, you know, is, is, is saying, you know, I have my partner is behaving in a way that's really upsetting or surprising to me Mm -hmm. our first response if it was anyone behaving like that we'd be like rushing in shut it down sweep them away right but everything that i'm reading and listening to is encouraging um, people to respond with dignity Mm -hmm. so not to shame or condemn or what are you thinking what are you doing just go in try to remedy the situation, carry on as normal. Mm -hmm. And this can happen best if the caregiver has made the people in their social and family circles aware of the illness. Sometimes there's a person who wants to just hope that this is going to get better and it's not really happening and refuses to get give that information to people in their social circles so um, people aren't aware. When, When something begins to happen, they're very shocked but if the people around you are supportive and aware and something occurs you go in you help you know put the shirt back on or pull the pants back up mm-hmm. move their hand to a different spot mm-hmm. and you you carry on so the emphasis is dignity um and the other things that i've read have said that sometimes those behaviors aren't necessarily sexual reread them as sexual because we have a way that we look at everything Um, but medications can cause some um, some responses they said maybe people are too hot room temperature clothes are too tight fitting and they want them to be loosened um, or removed and sometimes people have to use the restroom if they're not having word if they're having word finding issues or just not able to realize um, what their body needs right now it might be Let's go to the bathroom. Let's take a break. So it's not always this person is hypersexual as much as it is. There's a discomfort here. Let's figure out what it is and try to solve it calmly. Right. 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 I think calmly is the key there. (laughs) And I like to just, just be, you know, it's so hard and it's so hard if you're not, you know, in that place yet, but as much as you can to just be um, transparent with your close ones. Mm Um, we talk about, you know, giving things a voice and how sometimes that can alleviate the scariness of a situation is to just speak it mm-hmm. and give it that voice. And then that can really help bring a situation um, down a little bit when we've worked it up. And I think this mm-hmm. is one of those things, you know, when your spouse or partner has that diagnosis and is starting to act in this way, to just speak it as hard as that is can really help. Um, well, and to bring support into your circle too. Right. Is a big one. So the other people can also normalize it with you. It's not something they have to be um, thrown off by. They can know that it could be a possibility and it's, it's okay. And we'll all get through it together. Right. Right. And you know, our big kind of motto um, at Joy's house is meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. And that includes these types of behaviors. And exactly like you said, to just, meet them where they are with dignity with dignity and and i don't want people to be scared um of of this as a an impending 
um, behavior for every person with dementia. Um, I saw a statistic that um, estimated seven to seven to 20% have an, a hypersexual uh, response right. during their progression in the disease. So it's not everyone. Right, right. Um, but it's just good to have it in mind so that if it does start to happen or something weird throws you off, maybe I, I watched one video and the lady was talking about her dad requesting a sexual um, appointment with an old friend from mm-hmm. high school. Yeah. Asking his his wife for it. Oh, oops. <laughs> so, so the the lady is very humorous, and she walked us all through it. But um, basically, not to take it personally. Yeah, yeah. What about um, maybe some aggression? If somebody is saying, you know, my spouse is acting not only more sexually, but it's aggressive. So aggressive has a couple meanings for us. There can be like hands-on aggressive where mm-hmm. someone's being more violent, and that would be a type of abuse. And even though your person is ill, you still need to be in a safe place. Mm-hmm. You don't owe sex to anyone. It's it's your decision to make. So if you're not comfortable, and unfortunately I did read something where a spouse or a partner was, was providing sexual um favors to the spouse just to calm the spouse and that's up to each person but but remember that you still have rights too right um and it goes back to that self-care that's part of mm self-care is to to establish your healthy boundaries Mm -hmm. even in that situation i forget what we started talking about when i just went there oh just about aggression okay yeah so there's the physical aggression and then there's just the constant harping of I want this I want this Mm -hmm. I want this and what I've read has um suggested that these people are forgetting that they just had sex right and then they think they want to have sex and to the partner it's like again we just did but not to them they didn't they didn't just have sex so some of the suggestions are um to distract as much as possible, you know, if you can say, oh my goodness, look, the robins are showing up yeah. there. Or, and if, if you can't just completely change the, the path to offer other things. So touch can be a supplement for sex, just even rubbing shoulders or massaging hands, lotioning, anything that where you're showing some warm vibes from your body to the other person's body, some caring um, motions mm-hmm. that that can be distracting. Um, in rare cases, people have suggested some medications to calm that down, but it's okay. just not as frequent that that becomes so aggressive. Um, also just stepping out of the room mm-hmm. for a minute, if you can, I know there's a lot of shadowing I've read about where, um, the affected person is just following everywhere. Right. But if there's that, um, persistence for a sexual activity and just need to step away just to get a fresh perspective on it. Um, that's also suggested. That's okay too. Um, and I know one kind of final thing that we wanted to talk about, this has been fascinating by the way, I really appreciate you being here. And I think a lot of people really will appreciate, um, hearing the information that you have to share. Um, and you know, just to kind of wrap up with just one more thing Mm -hmm. that I think is very, um, 
you know, scary and sensitive and people might not want to talk about, but, um, STIs or STDs, mm-hmm. um, are a reality for all, including, including aging adults. Right. Um, and, and people need to be aware of that and that safe sex still needs to be practiced, um, right. as long as you're sexually active. So there were two concerns as I was looking over this, that one is if you become sexually active as a well person with another person and secondly if you suspect that your spouse or partner who is um ill is becoming sexually active with someone else Mm. you don't know what has happened in that scenario so you also want to be protected if you do re-engage so the statistic that i have just to make it real is that uh, this was an article from u.s news and world report in december 2018 um, between the years of 2014 and 2017, the greatest increase in sexually transmitted infections were in the age group of people 60 and older. And wow. that rose 23%. Wow. I have some ideas about why that happens. Sure. Maybe like the sex education wasn't there, you know, the ideas of um, prevention and those kind of things. But the reality is this age group is vulnerable to to those infections and so you always want to make decisions with um good wise steps sure <laughs> and you know i think another thing is um again just doing that all with dignity like we talked mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. and and a gentle approach and um as hard as that is <laughs> you know it's because it's, it's a very sensitive subject and it's something that a people's emotions and sometimes mm-hmm. decades of emotions are tied up into um and mm-hmm. bond and, and connection with mm-hmm. somebody so just to keep in mind that you know we're trying to meet people where they are with dignity with respect um and to also take care of yourself yes so yes Jenny, this was really fascinating. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, And I know that you have some really great links that we are going to definitely share um, when we post this podcast on our social media pages. And um, I think we both would just encourage people to, to learn more, especially, you know, if they are finding themselves kind of entering the season of life or maybe they've had some of these experiences um, and then just to talk, you know, to find those resources, mm-hmm. um, whether that is a probably a licensed social worker mm-hmm. or a, caregiver a therapist group. Yeah. Um, and the caregiver group would be, um, probably more difficult than a therapist cause it's one-on-one right. and some people would lean on their family, but sometimes family is difficult with these mm-hmm. kind of topics. So if you have a, a trusted friend or a, a confidential listener, those are those are some good choices. Wonderful. Thank you so much for You're welcome. joining me today. <laughs> and thank you for listening. And we will see you next week on Caregiver Crossing. Take care and be safe. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Caregiver Crossing, a podcast to embrace family caregivers of today and tomorrow. If you would like to learn more about Joy's House, visit joyshouse.org. And for social media, you can like us on Facebook at Caregiver Crossing.